This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to Charter Nation. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. Produced by the California Charter Schools Association. I'm your host, Anna Tentopoulos. Thanks for listening. This week, we bring you a rebroadcast of a CCSA Facebook Live event, which took place last week, time to the release of our annual Portrait of the Movement report. Every year, CCSA's Portrait of the Movement focuses on a high-priority issue impacting charters across the Golden State. This year, the study analyzed how charters are addressing the mental health and wellness of students amid the pandemic. The report itself is called, Are the Kids Okay? How California Charter Public Schools Support Social-Emotional Well-Being Schoolwide. You can download the report by going to our website, ccsa.org. In this special edition of the Charter Nation podcast, you'll hear the audio from our Facebook Live event in which CCSA's president and CEO, Myrna Castrojon, discusses the key findings with the report's author and then spends time interviewing two charter school leaders featured in the report. We're bringing you this candid conversation because CCSA believes it's imperative that we learn from educators on the front lines and leverage their experiences to provide more support for students. Hello, everyone. I'm Mirna Castrejon, President and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association. Thank you all for attending this special CCSA Facebook Live event where we'll be discussing the social and emotional well being of students across our great Golden State. As we get into the report, we want to hear from you. Please send us your thoughts, experiences, or questions by messaging us during this live event. We will be addressing your questions later on. Also, we encourage you to download our new report right now by going to our website, ccsa.org. In just a few minutes, we'll hear from the report's author, as well as two leaders from charter public schools in California profiling the study. Trisha Lancaster of SOAR Academy in San Bernardino and Deborah Schroeder of Vibrant Minds in Anaheim. As you all know, families and educators are seeing the effects of the pandemic on the social and emotional well-being of students every day, and it is truly alarming. Earlier this week, the U.S. Surgeon General issued a public health advisory highlighting the increased prevalence of mental health challenges among our children. The advisory reinforced that the pandemic has exacerbating already existing challenges, and as a result of the pandemic, More students are mourning the loss of family members, facing greater economic instability, and dealing with isolation. Data shows that depression and anxiety have doubled during the pandemic, with 25% of youth experiencing depressive symptoms and 20% experiencing anxiety symptoms. There has been a nationwide spike in mental health-related hospital visits for 5 to 17-year-olds. In early 2021, emergency department visits in the United States for suspected suicide attempts were 51% higher for adolescent girls and 4% higher for adolescent boys compared to the same time period early in 2019. In California, suicide rates for children 10 to 18 years old increased by 20% between 2019 and 2020. To address this crisis, schools across the nation are exploring possible solutions, but many are bogged down by bureaucracy and politics in the way in which we have dealt in very fragmented ways with the different lanes and services that serve our families. 
Today's report examines how California's public charter schools are able to utilize their flexibility and adaptability to find new ways to address those challenges. These include um, uh, mental health issues, wraparound supports, uh, leaning into family supports, and many other strategies. But right now, I'd like to introduce you to Jenny Kress, CCSA's Managing Director for School Performance, Accountability, and Research, who authored this report. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to talk about this important topic. Jenny, as shown in the portrait of the movement, a wide majority of charter public schools are using COVID relief funds in their social, emotional, and mental health supports, just as intended by the legislation. They have completely transformed their mental health supports or undergone a major or substantial expansion of their services. What exactly did you find in your research? Yeah, so we really wanted to dig into the fact we know that schools, public schools across the state have received a lot of federal funding and state level funding to help provide relief from the pandemic and distance learning. And so we wanted to understand what our schools doing with that money. And we found that charter schools are really doubling down on social emotional support. And so we know that because we looked at California Department of Public Health safe schools data and we're able to see they asked a question um, about to what extent schools were expanding upon their social, emotional, and mental health supports. And we saw that of charter schools, 93% were uh, exp expanding to, a, to some degree. And then 74, about three quarters or 74% were significantly or just completely overhauling their mental health and social wow. emotional supports. And then we also finally looked into what specifically schools were doing with these funds. And so we saw that this, you know, really differed by school depending on their students' needs, but this ranged from hiring additional social, emotional uh, support staff, paraprofessionals, mental health counselors, to uh, professional development for teachers, to community, to links to community supports. That's great. I mean, that's an impressive record when you look at the very diverse needs across the state and the many different kinds of schools uh, and communities that are public charter schools serving California. Uh, you chose to go really in depth with four schools that represent different areas of the state. Uh, why those schools and what did you find? Sure. Yeah, we spoke with four different schools. We really wanted to focus on some different areas of the state than we've focused on in last year's Portrait of the Movement, which also discussed the pandemic and how charters were using their flexibility to come back from this you know, trauma that we've all been experiencing. So we specifically narrowed our search to Orange County, Fresno County, and San Bernardino County. And then we really just wanted to find schools that were, you know, had this proven track record and reputation of really excelling in social emotional support. And then we also spoke with Libertas, which is in Los Angeles. So that's not in one of those counties, but we had actually interviewed them for our recent report on serving Latino students with excellence, mm -hmm. which you can also find on our website. And they offered some really great examples of what they're doing for social emotional support. So that made it into this report as well. That's wonderful. Now, I know that in the report, you actually outlined some very clear recommendations for policymakers and educators uh, to seriously consider. Can you walk us through what those uh, top recommendations are? 
Sure. Yeah. I think coming out of the report, some of the things that really stuck out were while every school had different strategies for dealing with this topic, they all sort of coalesced around these key themes of relationship building, tailoring supports to the individual student, um, focusing on growth, so staying positive, not dwelling on learning loss or what could have been had the pandemic not occurred, but sort of where we are and where we can grow. And then also really leaning and using communities, families, caregivers for support. And so those were sort of the key findings coming out of the report. And so our recommendations looked at how can we support educators in providing that kind of support and in exemplifying those best practices. So we recommend that schools provide professional development for teachers and support staff who are the ones actually forming these relationships and identifying what supports are necessary. And to do that, that really requires capacity. We know educators are really asked to do a lot right now. They were asked to do a lot before the pandemic and now it's, you know, continues to pile on. So yeah, I know we've heard of schools doing really cool things like giving staff, you know, self care time or trying to figure out ways to really support them in supporting students. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the policy side, we also just really want to encourage the state to continue to look at this issue, not only in the short term, but for the long term. You know, the research shows that this isn't going away anytime soon. The mental health effects of the pandemic are going to be long lasting. And so, you know, one year of additional funding it really isn't going to cut it. Kids need continuous and consistent support moving forward. Great. That certainly makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of folks have somehow still cling to the idea that something magic's going to happen. There will be a definite end time and then we'll go back to normal. And I think your, your report does an amazing job at really pointing out sort of like both the long-term implications uh, for recovery, but also an opportunity to rehaul. Um, and I certainly found it incredibly encouraging and hopeful, um, but also really agitational. We really have to get ourselves together to make sure that we're meeting the moment and meeting the needs of students. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us. Jenny is CCSA's Managing Director of School Performance, Accountability, and Research and the author of the Portrait of the Movement Report. And she'll be back in a moment as well to answer questions. Uh, once again, we encourage all of you to download the report right now. You can do that by going to our website at ccsa.org and download our newest Portrait of the Movement Report. And also, we want to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jenny, put them in the chat. We will have a chance to respond in a moment. And I want to dive a little deeper into the report. Um, but uh, for right now, we are uh, going to turn our attention to the next part of our Facebook Live event, where um, joining us next are leaders from two amazing charter public schools that are pro profiled in the report. I'd like to introduce Dr. Deborah Schroeder, founding executive director of a vibrant Minds Charter School in Anaheim, California. Hi, Deborah. Hello, everyone. And Trisha Lancaster, Executive Director of SOAR Charter Academy in San Bernardino. Welcome, Trisha. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. I want to start off with a question for you both. Uh, can you each describe how the pandemic affected your school communities when it comes to their mental health and wellness. Tricia, can we start with you? Sure. It actually gave us an advantage I don't think we've ever had before, and that was 
during distance learning, it gave us an inside view into our students' homes and our parents an inside view into our classrooms. And I think that that shared connection just through virtual setting has allowed us to see and experience some things that we've never known about our families before. Home conditions are not always conducive to learning for many of our students. Even though we had a small percentage that truly thrived through distance learning, a lot of our students um, really suffered. Many of our students experienced trauma through the changes that COVID um, brought on and they experienced the loss of loved ones, loss of experiences, loss of their normal routine. And for children in the elementary, junior high age group, that, that normal routine is extremely important. And also then the, the trauma of just the lack of engagement through distance learning. A lot of our kids were disconnected. It was difficult for a lot of them to, to learn through that setting. Um, we found that our teachers had to be extremely diligent on checking on the well-being of our students before any kind of true learning or teaching could occur. Um, communication became top, top priority over everything. Our families needed to know that we cared. We were there for them no matter what the needs were, whether the needs were about technology and access, whether it was about food, whether it was about the mental health of their children or the academics that, that they, they were suffering in. Um, many of our students, um, because they were away from campus for a year or more, some chose not to come back in the spring, even though we opened up. Um, a lot of our students forgot how to be students. And some of them, those, those kindergartners and first graders, the only experience they have is online learning. So they didn't even know how to be a student in a classroom, learn how to share, learn how to communicate. So all of this affected their behavior. It affected their social skills. It affected their study skills. It affected their communication skills. And so after we returned to campus, we found that our students, because they were hurting across the board, we knew from immediate, I mean, immediate when these kids came on our campus, that we were going to have to expand and create new support systems around their mental health and their wellness and their just being a well-rounded student again. So this extra funding that has been flowing our way has just been so, so appreciated. appreciated. Great. Thank you so much for that. That's quite a challenge. It sounds like you're doing incredibly responsive things. Uh, Debbie, tell us uh, how, how did the pandemic impact your school community in particular? I think first off, it's important to understand that we still need to be merchants of hope. And so I think it becomes really critical that we help our scholars to tell their story. And I think about them when they're 20. How are they going to reflect back and tell their story about how they got through this pandemic? So we do some storytelling because I think it's really critical that we um, model that for them. But what we found is when our scholars came back to us and we were so proactive, you know, school was shut down on March 13th. We were up and running doing distance learning with Zoom on March 16th with technology in hand. So it's one of those things that as a small school, you know, you can act really quickly. And I think it's one of the benefits of being a charter school. But what we found is when our scholars came back, uh, they had difficulties in terms of just levels of emotionality. I can't tell you how often I see a scholar just sitting alone uh, with tears and eyes, and we don't pass those opportunities to make that connection. So, so much of it is in the moment when we see something. The other part is the self-regulation wasn't as strong. I think that with the time that they were doing the distance learning, we thought we were reaching them the best we could, but they didn't really have that opportunity to practice the self-regulation that helps them to be strong learners. And then the other piece is that we're finding that they are not as intrinsically motivated. 
to succeed and grow academically. With that, three areas, it really has made this a different world when it comes to teaching. Our staff has been amazing, and I know that staffs across the country have shown great resiliency as they've tried to make things work and they've made multiple pivots to make it work. Right now, we have added counseling staff thanks to the extra funding that we've received, but we also acknowledge that we all now need to become counselors, not in that formal sense, but in that practical sense of being there for any child that needs us. The other part that we have found is that when it comes to our parents and community, it's a little bit harder to get them engaged and involved. Part of it is all the protocols that we have to go through so we can't be as spontaneous in getting our parents involved. But the other part is that many of them are still in a high level of survival mode themselves. So their bandwidth is to really help their family unit and not necessarily contribute to all of us working together. It's certainly uh, a huge challenge across the state. Let's dive a little bit deeper uh, into each of your programs and your responses. Tricia, uh, in the report, we took a look at a tool that SOAR uses called the Power of One. Uh, can you please describe that program and what impact are you seeing it have on your students? Absolutely. Um, actually, this is right before the pandemic began. I came across a video by Josh Ship called The Power of One. And in the video, he's, he stated the whole video is basically about his personal life and how one adult changed everything for him. So he basically states that all kids are one caring adult away from success. So I looked a little bit deeper into the research behind that. And there's quite a bit of research showing that the students who do well have at least one stable and committed adult in their lives besides their parents or parent. So I took it upon myself to print out a list of every student who's enrolled at SOAR and I placed it in the staff room. And at a staff meeting, we I introduced the video and then I introduced what I wanted to attempt to do at SOAR. And that was make sure that every student at SOAR had a connection, had an adult on their campus that they felt safe with, that they felt that they had a trusting relationship with. All staff on campus then proceeded to put dots next to students' names that they felt like they had a strong connection, didn't just know their name, didn't just know what grade they were in, but truly felt that they could assist a student, support a student, no matter what they were going through. So it gives us a very easy visual um, to look at and immediately know what kids don't have any dots next to them. And so the next step was then to have our staff intentionally look at those students that didn't have any dots and create that connection, create those trusting relationships so that we can impact our students with that connection. Exactly what Debbie just said about all of us being counselors. And that's kind of what no matter who you are on our campus, whether you're a custodian, whether you're a front office, an admin, it does not matter. Those connections on our campus are extremely important. And so to figure out what kind of impact that has had, because we went when, we, when I first um, put it in the staff room, it was right before we went off. I mean, it was it was the spring of 2020. So we didn't get to do much with it right before we left to distance learning. So last year, it kind of just hung on the wall because nobody was on campus. So starting in August of this year, I went ahead and printed out an entire list of all our students. 450 students are hanging on our wall in our staff room. And at this point in, in December, there's only a handful, couple handfuls, sorry, couple handful of names that don't have dots. So I have added in new kids each trimester and encouraged our staff to continue to add dots as you create relationships. And we do a monthly um, belonging survey at SOAR. 
and we give our students, um, uh, I think it's six questions, and they're all they're all about: Do you have connections? Do you feel like you have a role on our campus? Do you, leadership roles? Those type of things. And we had a baseline of seventy-five percent of our students in September felt like they they were giving positive responses on this survey. Our goal was to increase to seventy-seven percent by November, and we did that. And so, asking kids on our campus. Um, about this, you can tell they notice. They they know what's happening. They they feel those trusting relationships. They feel like they have someone to go to. And new kids, it's hard for all new kids, especially during this pandemic, coming back from wherever they came from to soar, already joining a new culture. That that trusting relationship has just become one of those priorities for us that we know we can't go beyond until we get these kids to understand that they're in a safe place and they have people who care about them. Such a powerful example. I really appreciate that 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 sentiment, Tricia, that every single one of us can be that one person that makes a difference in helping a child stay connected and feel successful and go to when 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 they feel troubled. Really appreciate that. And I, I've experienced your school and how closely connected all those relationships are. I know it's quite real. Um I, I want to dive in deeper, Deborah, on uh, the program at Vibrant Minds. You started talking a little bit about the, um, the 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 importance of families and some of the barriers to engagement that sometimes can occur. And in the report, you highlighted the critical importance of the mindset of the educator. Can you tell us a little bit about how family partnerships and events support your staff in these programs? Yes. What we found is even when we were closed down, we did everything we could to keep the connections going. And admittedly, Zoom was our best friend because that was sometimes the only way we could do that outreach. And so we did some emulation of what we would normally do. We had a kickoff meeting. We had um, parent-teacher conferences. We had open house. We had all those things you would traditionally do, but we did it via Zoom. But then we also wanted to get a little bit more creative And we wanted to make sure that there was that synergy, that energy that makes a great school. So when it was around the holiday time, we did this whole holiday-themed time where a lot of people tuned in. We were doing gift deliveries live via camera uh, with drawings. We did anything we could to create that sense of normal. And we had huge staff participation as well as scholar and parent participation in that process. Simple idea, but something that I think really made people feel that we cared, that they were appreciative, and the connection continued. On top of that, uh, we did things like the talent show where they brought in things. We had pumpkin carving, so we did that. We did anything to just make it feel less serious during a very somber time because there needed to be that balance. We also tapped into many community resources for our families. We were picking up food at food banks, and we delivered them here at our school. We had toy drives. Uh, we had clothes drives because we knew that there were a lot of families that were in dire financial circumstances. And again, we wanted to show that we cared and that we were there to support. And I think those things helped when we came back because we came back in strong numbers still. Um, let us bring back Jenny uh, to the, the 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 event, and um, let let us get ready to answer some uh, audience questions. 
please head over to the chat if you're listening to this important conversation. Provide comments or ask questions of any of our panelists, any questions you may have, and we'll try to get them answered. Um, Jenny, there is one uh, first question uh, for you to address. Um, what about the findings as you were researching this report? What surprised you the most? Yeah, thanks for that question. Well, a lot surprised me. I learned so much from this report. I think, I mean, first off, really digging into the research on how the pandemic has impacted students' mental and emotional well-being was really sobering. And, you know, uh, I knew it was bad. I didn't know how bad it was. It's um, definitely, yeah, it feels like a really important topic to be talking about for sure. And then on the more positive side, in speaking with leaders, like Debbie and Tricia, and also the leaders from Edison Bethune and Libertas in LA, I was really struck by the relationship building piece. I always thought of this as something that just sort of happened organically. And there's really so much thought and so much intentionality that goes into have, ensuring that every student has someone who they trust and you know, know well on campus who can support them in the right way. And so, yeah, I think when you visit some schools that do this well, you're, it just seems like it all is, you know, just sort of happening in this really nice organic way. But then behind the scenes, there's just educators working really hard and working really smart. That totally makes sense to me. Uh, appreciate that response. Um, to this, our school leaders, uh, Trisha and, and Deborah, um, this pandemic is affecting everyone. I, I know I conduct my own life very differently than before the pandemic. And, um, you know, these are <laughs> our walls, uh, even as uh, there are some returns. Um, and taking care of, uh, of, of the mental health needs and the stamina of staff is a, a really critically important element as well, since, you know, people who are hurting can't help others that are hurting, or at least are in a diminished ability to, to, to be able to do so. How do you keep, um, how do you help your staff stay in that space where compassion and empathy and imagination can still thrive in spite of the challenges they're facing? I'd love to answer that. Um, during the actual, during panda, during distance learning, um, the five directors at SOAR made an intention, prom, intentional promise to us and our staff that they needed to set boundaries and it was okay. We gave them permission to set boundaries and create that balance for themselves. Balance was extremely hard during distance learning for all our teachers. I mean, it was, it was painful that we had, um, family members reaching out to teachers at 10 o'clock at night and teachers feeling like they needed to answer at 10 o'clock at night. So just giving our staff permission to give themselves boundaries and, and be okay with that, that was huge. Also showing our appreciation. We went out of our way, just like Debbie said, drive drive throughs didn't just happen for our kids. We delivered to them. So we did a staff, even though we do a huge staff appreciation week on our campus, we took above, that above and beyond and delivered to our staff, no matter where they lived. Um, and if they were way out of reach, we, we mailed everything to them. But making sure that they felt appreciated, that we saw them, that they were being heard, that their needs were being met as much as our students. It wasn't just about the support we were giving our students. It was the support we were giving everybody. Um, it was time consuming and it was hard, but it was extremely important. Now, that, now back on campus, making sure our staff feels comfortable using their voice, that it's okay to say, I'm overwhelmed. This is too much. I need help. Giving our staff the opportunity to voice their concerns 
has been that communication piece and having open doors with all of us, knowing that they have a safe place to go, just like we're trying to give our students that. Um, that has been something that has been priority for SOAR. I have to agree with everything that Trisha said. And we tried some of the same strategies. We implemented some of the same strategies too. I know that for myself as an educational leader, I've had to be a lot more vulnerable myself. It's so easy to fall into the trap of uh, positive toxicity in terms of everything's fine. What's wrong? We've had opportunities to talk with each other. There's been some tears together. There's been some frustration together. I think it becomes really important that we're absolutely real. And I think we also had an opportunity to decide what's really important and what isn't. And what we did is we stopped doing some of the things that really didn't have as much impact on what our goal is to serve our scholars and to support each other. So it was really a time for a different level of prioritization, as well as an understanding that our roles have shifted during this time. They may not ever shift completely back. That might be okay. We might come back on the other side even stronger and better. Perhaps even more real and more connected. For sure. Uh, there is one last question from the audience. Um, if you can make a bridge to what you're what, what you were just raising, Deborah, this the, the this this notion of all of us uh, having a role in holding up each other's mental and emotional well-being close to heart and close to mind. Um, uh, one of our audience members is asking, I feel as though all schools should add more counselors and social workers. Is that where your schools are doing? Is that what all schools should be doing? I know that we have, and that was a choice that we made uh, because we felt that we needed to have not only the informal counseling that we all do, but also some more formal counseling. So I, I do think that's a, a very appropriate um, way to channel some of the funds that we have. I do think we might find that we need to continue to do this. It's not a short-term situation. When we look at our scholars that were impacted the most, I'm very worried about our first grade scholars. They are so special, but they didn't really have that beginning experience in school that we want to have. We're also concerned about our sixth graders. So every school may be a little bit different, but you know where that intense need is. And I don't see it as a short-term intense need. So yes, I do think counselors are beneficial. Social workers to make that connection with the homes are beneficial. And I do think we need to do it for the long term. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for taking part in this live uh, Facebook event. This is an all too important and timely discussion. And the, even though we know that the challenges are great and the solutions aren't simple, we certainly are seeing some rays of hope to teach us, to reteach us, and to challenge us to think about how we stay connected to each other and ensure that our students have the supports and platforms they need to continue to succeed. Thank you so much, Debbie, Trisha, Jenny, for your time and sharing your knowledge. And please don't forget to go to ccsa.org to download our latest report, Are the Kids Okay? Thank you so much. You've been listening to a rebroadcast of a CCSA Facebook Live event, which was timed to the release of our annual Portrait of the Movement report last week. The study is called, Are the Kids Okay? How California Charter Public Schools Support Social Emotional Wellbeing Schoolwide. Again, you can download the report by going to our website, ccsa.org. And that's it for this special episode of the Charter Nation podcast. 
On behalf of CCSA, I'd like to wish you the happiest of holidays. I'm your host, Anna Tintopoulos. Thanks for tuning in.